grace and peace in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's good to be back here in Birmingham, worshiping and fellowshipping with you, brothers and sisters here. It's hard to believe that it's already been five months since we moved to Pittsburgh, and you all have constantly been in my prayers and it's been a joy to see from a distance how the Lord's been working in this place. He truly is good to His people. Well, this morning our text will be Psalm 110. Now, this is a psalm that most, if not all of us, are intimately familiar with. This popular psalm is most likely the first one that we would go to if we were asked to reference a messianic psalm. It's quoted in the New Testament extensively. In fact, it can be said that the New Testament gives an exposition or an interpretation of this passage. But this morning, I want to encourage you to not overlook what's being said or or to zone out because it's a well-known passage. Instead, it's my hope that we will leave here this morning with a greater appreciation for the person and work of Jesus Christ. What, What He has done... And how this psalm speaks to us. It's my hope that we leave this morning understanding this psalm in a new light. And that this psalm will truly be a new song in your hearts this morning. So hear now the word of the Lord from Psalm 110. The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. The Lord shall send the rod of thy strength out of Zion. Rule thou in the midst of thine enemies. Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power in the beauties of holiness from the womb of the morning thou hast the dew of thy youth. The Lord has sworn and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord at thy right hand shall strike through kings in the day of His wrath. He shall judge among the heathen. He shall fill the places with the dead bodies. He shall wound the heads over many countries. He shall drink of the brook in the way. Therefore, he shall lift up the head. Thus far, the reading of God's Word. Let us pray. Heavenly Father God, we ask that you would add a blessing to the reading of your Word. Father, that the that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart will be acceptable in your sight. 
that you will open our eyes and our ears to be receptive of this word that you have prepared for us, that we will be edified, that you will be glorified, and that we will see your Son in a greater beauty as we leave this day. It's in Christ Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. We're living in crazy times. I don't think anyone can argue with that. It seems like much of the world around us is descending into chaos, skepticism, conspiracy theories, riots, quarreling, hatred, apostasy, all seem to be running rampant today. Sometimes we just have to take a step back. Take a step back from everything that is going on around us and be reminded of who Christ Jesus is and what that means for us as His people. That's my hope for us today that we can take a step back from all the chaos and just meditate on the person and work of Jesus Christ. And we will do this today by looking at one of the most popular psalms in all of Scripture. And it is my hope that we will see in this psalm that Christ Jesus is our King, our Prophet, our Conqueror, and our rest. The first thing that we see in our text is that Christ Jesus is our King. Now this psalm begins by laying out one of the most clear examples of an inter-Godhead conversation that we see in Scripture prior to the advent of Christ. The Lord said unto my Lord. Within this short phrase, only three words in the Hebrew, is packed some of the richest theology that we can ever experience. In the English language, while absolutely sufficient and clear, does not fully capture the depth of this statement. There are two parties involved in this conversation. You have the Lord, Jehovah, is referenced first as being the one who speaks. Now this is characteristic of the Father, the one who spoke and by His very words all things came into existence. And then you have my Lord. So the Lord Jehovah said to my Lord, Adonai. Well, who is this Lord? Who is this Adonai? Well, it's none other than the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. Many have tried to make this Adonai refer to David or some other man but all of these attempts 
fall short. The way in which Adonai is described and what his duties are speak of the exalted nature of this person. David, in penning this psalm, doesn't look back to a previous word of the Lord in order to reference it here. No, this is a new revelation that is given to him while in the Spirit, testifying of the person and work of Jesus Christ. That is who this Lord is. That is who this Adonai is. And it's absolutely crucial that these two parties are correctly identified for the rest of this passage hinges on this correct identification. If we continue on in our passage, we see that it is uh, what it is that the Father says to the Son. Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. Here we have what could be described as the coronation of King Jesus as ruler over all things. And He sits at the right hand of the Father. Now the right hand is a metaphor that is used to describe a seat of power. The Sovereign Lord over all creation is decreeing that Christ Jesus will sit in a place of power as King over all. This coronation, this sitting at the right hand of the Father isn't in reference to Jesus in His ontological nature being the second person of the Trinity, but is instead speaking of Him in His forthcoming role as mediatorial King, as the God-Man, the Word made flesh. This coronation isn't just an elevation to a place of authority either, but it's also a promise of a victory that will come under King Jesus' reign. This is plain to see in the phrase, until I make thine enemies thy footstool. This is clearly in reference to the subjugation of all things under the rule and reign of Jesus Christ. Now it's amazing how this part of this passage is reiterated almost verbatim by the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 1 verses 20 and 22. God seated Him, Jesus, at His own right hand in the heavenly places. And He put all things in subjection under His feet and made Him the head over all things for the church. But not only is Christ Jesus made King, is, is seated at the right hand of the Father and rules, the rules with the world as His footstool, but He also rules actively, both in the midst of His people 
and in the midst of his enemies. Look with me to verse 2. The Lord shall send the rod of thy strength out of Zion. Rule thou in the midst of thine enemies. This emphasizes the eschatological nature of Christ's reign. Zion is throughout Scripture a reference to the holy city of God. It's the place where He dwells in the midst of His people. And by tying the reign of King Jesus to the holy city of Zion, we're being told that He is the anticipated messianic king who would sit on the throne of David forever. And as he stretches forth his rod of strength out of his domicile Zion, it is a symbol of the power and the authority that is delegated to him by Jehovah. He rules over all people both his own within the confines of Zion and his enemies outside of Zion. And it's from these first two verses that the kingly nature of Jesus is established. And it's upon this that the psalm will continue to build, showing his rule and reign over all peoples. And it's interesting to note that His people serve Him willingly. Verse 3 says, Thy people shall be willing in the day of Thy power. In the beauties of holiness from the womb of the morning, Thou hast the dew of of Thy youth. In this day, the, the people of King Jesus are willingnesses. Now I know that's not a word, but the word that's used in Hebrew is a noun and we really don't have an English word that equates it. It is a noun of being willing. They possess entirely cheerful readiness. They're ready for any sacrifice. They bring themselves with all that they are and all that they have to meet Him. There's no need for any compulsory, lengthy proclamation calling them out. It's no army of mercenaries, but willingly and quickly they present themselves to the King. This is true of all people of God. Christ Jesus is our King, and we serve Him as willingnesses. But not only is Christ Jesus our King, He is also our priest. Now this is the part of the psalm that is so familiar to us. The Lord hath sworn and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of of Melchizedek. This is the pinnacle of this psalm when looking at when looking at it in its structure. It's to this point that the beginning 
of this psalm is pointing towards, and it's out of this point that the rest of this psalm will flow. Just as verse 1 began with the Lord Jehovah speaking, here we see Him speaking again, but in a different way. He's swearing an oath. This is a testimony of His faithfulness. But not only does He swear this oath, He also solidifies it by stating that He will not repent. This is because Jehovah God is bound by His own promises. He's faithful. He cannot break His oath. So what is this oath that He makes? Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The entirety of Hebrews 7 must be considered when interpreting this psalm, for it is the most extensive treatment of this text found in all of Scripture. Because of the nature of this forever priesthood after the order of Melchizedek, it ought to be understood that this passage refers to the superior nature of the Melchizedekian priesthood over the Levitical priesthood that we read about in Leviticus 16. And it speaks of the abrogation, the doing away with the Levitical priesthood in this priest king, the Messiah, Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus reigning, the reigning king over all things is a priest. He makes intercession on behalf of His people. He has made the once for all sacrifice of atonement of His people. He has made the sacrifice of atonement for His people's sins. And by His sacrifice that He made in His death on the cross, He purchased the salvation for His people. And He is a priest forever. This means He's always making intercession on our behalf. Because His priesthood is eternal, His redemption is eternal. There's not that yearly sacrifice. It's not like the blood of bulls and goats that must be continually given. No. It's once for all and eternal. This is why Paul can say in Romans 8, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you see how comforting that is? Our lives are hid in Christ on high. Safe and secure. No possibility 
of being cast away because he is our priest. Now it's at this point that in the text we see a shift in focus. No longer are the offices of Christ in mind, but instead the work of Christ is. Throughout this psalm there has been a build-up. First we saw Jehovah crowning Christ Jesus as King over all creation. Then there was the proclamation of Jesus' priestly office, the one uh, that is forever after the order of Melchizedek. And now we see King Jesus, our great high priest, will be victorious because He is our conqueror. We see this in what the Lord says about Christ's reign. The Lord, the Lord at thy right hand shall strike through the kings in the day of His wrath. He shall judge among the heathen. He shall fill the places with the dead bodies. He shall wound the heads over many countries. This is an explicit description of the victorious nature of King Jesus' reign. It's not only in His kingly role, but also in His priestly role that Christ Jesus has been elevated to a seat of power and is seated beside Jehovah. Now this is important because it's not only in His kingly role, but also in His priestly role that God says Christ will strike through kings in this day of wrath. This phrase, strike through, shall strike through, is one that shows power and might and force. Elsewhere it's translated as wound or or shatter, or smite, or smite through. Each of these terms speak of the decisiveness of the action. In the most literal sense, it means to break into pieces. It's interesting to note about this phrase is that it is, the form that it is in the Hebrew is that it means it is a completed action. Now this is a glimpse at the already and not yet of the reign of King Jesus. He has already trampled His enemies under His feet and won the victory, but the fullness of this will not be realized until the end of the age. And in this conquering, one of His duties is as a judge. He shall judge among the heathen. He shall fill the places with the dead bodies. He shall wound the heads over many countries. This speaks of the universal scope of Christ's judgment. 
The heathen here is representative of all nations. His authority is not limited to Zion alone, but extends to all peoples, just as we saw in verse 2. No one will be exempt from His righteous judgment. And those who are found outside of His people will be laid to waste. He shall fill the places with the dead bodies. He shall wound the head of our nations. This is a very graphic display of the power and authority that has been given to Christ. This is the outcome of the kings in Psalm 2 who refused to kiss the Son. This is the outcome of Psalm 46 when He avenges His people by making wars to cease, breaking the bow, cutting the spear, burning the chariot in the fire. And all of this victory is for the purpose of building His kingdom, His holy city in which He will dwell in the midst of His people. Christ Jesus, our King, our Priest, is also our conqueror. Now the way this psalm ends is amazing. After all of this build up, after all of the actions of the coronated king and the consecrated priest, we see that Christ Jesus is our rest. He shall drink of the brook in the way. Therefore, he lift, he lift up. Shall he lift up the head? This scene shows King Jesus victorious over all of his foes, in drinking from the brook in the way, refreshing himself as he lifts up his head triumphantly. William Plummer. Uh, writes, the true explanation is that as a conqueror in the great contest overcomes all opposition, he refreshes himself at the brook in his victorious march and thus goes on conquering and to conquer. So shall it be with Messiah. This is the most appropriate way to end this psalm. For it tells the entirety of the story of Jesus. From his ascension to power to his being delegated with authority by God, his given dominion over all things and made a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, there is no other way the psalm could end than with the absolute triumph of the priest king, Messiah. He ushers in a time of everlasting rest. Hebrews 4 speaks of this rest and how it applies to the people of God. There remain therefore a rest to the people of God, for he that is entered into his rest, he also has ceased from his own works, as God did from his. Let us labor therefore to enter into that rest, lest any man fall under the same example of unbelief. Just as Christ Jesus has entered into his rest, so will we 
at the end of this age as we find our eternal, eternal rest in him, for he is our rest. So what does all of this mean for us as the people of God today? Well, brothers and sisters, we have a good and righteous king who judges the earth with equity. He is the sovereign over all creation. Nothing happens outside of his sovereign hand. So whether it be work anxieties or a nation in decline, pandemic that never seems to go away, crazy political season, or uncertainty in the church's future, we can rest assured that he is in control and is working all things together for our good and for his glory because he is our king. We rest in the finished work of Christ in not only performing the once-for-all sacrifice for the atonement of sins, but in sacrificing Himself to provide that perfect atonement. He continually lives to make intercession on behalf of His people before the Father. Our salvation is sure because He is sure. Christ Jesus is our priest. And in his role as king and priest, he reigns victorious. We have nothing to fear from the enemies of this world because he has already won the victory. Those who are not his people will be laid to waste. None will be spared from his righteous judgment and vengeance. If you are his, then this ought to comfort you exceedingly. But if you're not his, this ought to terrify you. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry. Turn away from your wickedness and turn to Christ as your Lord and Savior. Those who are His will rise victoriously with Him, for He is our conqueror. And look forward to that final Sabbath rest. Anticipate the day of the coming of the Lord when the heavens will be open and this world destroyed and the consummation of the new heavens and the new earth are realized. But the words of your mouth be come, Lord Jesus, come quickly, for He is our rest. Let's pray. Holy Heavenly Father, we thank You that You have given all dominion and authority to Your Son, King Jesus. 
that He is ruling and reigning over all things with an iron scepter in His hand and the world is His footstool. Let that bring comfort to our souls. Father, we praise You and glorify Your name for You are the One that has risen up Your Son as a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek and it is because of this priesthood we are able to stand before Your heavenly throne as the people of God on this day. Let it be a comfort to our souls that we do not live this Christian life alone. No, we are given brothers and sisters that walk alongside us. But more importantly, we have an intercessor. The God-man, Christ Jesus, our High Priest, who lives continually to make intercession on our behalf for you. Let us rest in the victory that has already been won in our conquering King, Christ Jesus. And let us find our rest in Him as we long for that day when we enter into that final rest. Father, as we continue on through our lives throughout this next week until we gather again together on the next Lord's Day, let us meditate upon these things. Let us leave here with a greater appreciation for who Christ is, what He has done, and what that means for us. Father, be with us as we conclude our service of worship to you. Be with us as we leave this place. It's in the name of our Lord and Savior, our King and Priest, our Conqueror and our Rest, Christ Jesus. Amen.